but it is so much cooler to help somebody else get to what they want to be. And everyone knows this. I'm not saying anything that no, I mean, anyone that's ever experienced it, the greatest accomplishments of my life, the ones that I'll brag about the longest are when I was part of something bigger than myself. And I've, I've been fortunate. There's a couple things I can claim. Check, 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 right? But the cool stuff, the really, really cool stuff is the stuff that I was a part of. The stuff that gets better over time that 10 years later, I'm like, oh my God, the whole burrito rolling thing. I was just one part of that. That was fantastic. It gets better over time. The, the, the goal that I set in 2002 for sales or whatever, like who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, as more time goes on, it's like, eh, whatever, right? So, so being a part of something bigger than yourself is it just not only does it pay better financially it pays better emotionally spiritually all that stuff right hi this is dan t rogers from sales sidekick and you're listening to the traveling optimist podcast with steve odie happiness purpose serving others and optimism all of these words could pale into insignificance when as covid started to grip the planet your business loses 96% of its income. That's right, 96%. How would you handle this situation? What would you do with your back against this seemingly unscalable wall? How do you stay positive? What do you do to get you back on your feet again? Well, I tread this beautiful terrain that could be sometimes rocky with my friend Dan Rogers in a truly wonderful conversation. So sit back, plug in and enjoy this feast for your ears on the Travelling Optimist podcast. I'm reminded of a quote from Mahatma Gandhi, and he said that strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable will. And I know a lot of people, particularly in the travel industry, that can relate to this quote. But in my conversation with the awesome Dan Rogers, I hope you'll see how that quote really does apply to him. And it struck me as we were talking that this is a guy that could have just thrown his arms up in defeat and walked away. But instead, he embraced his situation. And rather than feel sorry for himself, he threw himself into serving others and letting the markets and the universe decide his fate. And there's no doubt you'll realise that Dan is an inspiring leader, albeit a very humble one. And please don't underestimate the size of Dan's contribution that he's making and that his team is making. And I love everything that Dan stands for and that his business system sets yourself up to put your clients and community as the heroes. So this is me and Dan Rogers reminiscing about our early escapades on our paper rounds and talking about COVID, staying happy, being judged on what you do, adding value even if you don't get paid, and the importance of family. But ultimately, this is a conversation about Dan's grit and determination to be part of something bigger than himself, and to look back in 20 years and feel proud of what he's achieved. Let's go. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the Travelling Optimist podcast. My guest today is Dan T. Rogers, all the way from Seattle in the United States of America. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Mate, this is going to be awesome because, you know, we had a little conversation a few weeks ago, didn't we? Sort of a, a preamble to the show and um, got to know you a little bit and, uh, you know, a little bit about your story. And I'm really excited for you to be able to share that with um, the listeners and, you know, you're just a, a great guy with some fantastic insight and um, your success is something that I think people would clamber to emulate. So let's just go straight in. So, I mean, um, you're in Seattle. 
so wonders of technology mean that we can do this. And, um, you know, I'm just so great that Zoom was invented. Yeah, for sure, for so sure. Yeah. Let, let's um, give some uh, background to you and um, in your life and where you come from and everything, if you don't mind, just to get some context really for the listeners and uh, show, show us really the sort of person that you are and where you came from, um, if you don't mind, if that's right. Yeah, so um, current uh, f- 52, uh, <laughs> Seattle, Washington, uh, married uh, and uh, two two boys, almost six, almost four. And um, I think a little bit about where I come from. Uh, since high school, I've been living in the greater Seattle area. And I think a significant part of the story is, is that, and I mean this seriously, is I just didn't drown. You know what I mean? Like Seattle, uh, you know, there's been plenty of places on the globe, but Seattle's one of those places on the globe that since then, since, since the mid 80s, it's just exploded. And so... Um, I think a significant part of my success has just been proximity, you know, that there was just uh, a lot of it happening. And Mm -hmm. and that was a huge part of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like your early years and things, um, what what, did you have siblings? You know, mom and dad, what did they do? So so uh, my folks divorced when I was really young. Uh, Like, I don't remember all this being together. And my mom is sort of the stereotypical single working mom really worked her tail off uh, memories of uh, putting food back in the cart at the grocery store. If you know what that is now, how much now, how much? Uh, So we come from pretty modest beginnings, but um, what I'm really, really grateful for is somehow she's able to manage to provide for what we needed. And from the very beginning, she's like, Hey, you want that? Then like figure out how to get it. And she would encourage me, you know uh, you know, whether it was, newspaper routes or just whatever. And so, I mean, I, I started working uh, with like a quote unquote real job as a sophomore in high school delivering appliances. And, uh, and I really, quite frankly, never, my, my, my career has just gotten more abstract. It's always been about sort of um, moving something from point A to point B. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. what, what, so that I know, cause I mean, this would be interesting for me. What's sophomore? I, I, I don't, in oh, the UK, so second, we don't know what that is. Second, second year of high school. Uh, okay. So 10th, 10th, 10th grade. Ah, yeah. okay. That, that, okay. So yeah, you're, you're sort of first year of your proper sort of d- before, I, year I before was, you do your exams. Yeah, I was 15. Uh, so that was sort of at the time that was sort of as old, that was the, the, that was as old, as young as you could be and still have a proper job where you paid yeah. taxes and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So did you, yeah. so you've been, I wouldn't, I, I don't like to use the word hustle too much because um it it gives it might give the wrong connotation but i mean you know as a young young guy you're kind of hustling to get some money in your pocket and and do 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 some good things yeah no i mean i i think uh hustle is the proper word and sort of the intention hopefully changed a little bit over 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 time and uh i think i was born um or at least uh, had uh an aptitude uh around the sort of hustle skill set and I, I tried using that to serve myself and it wasn't, it, it, it's not that it didn't work. It just didn't feel very good. Mm. And when I sort of got more locked in on using that hustle to sort of serve something bigger than yourself, if just somebody else, um, that just feels a heck of a lot better. And it turns out that it works better too, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I actually is, it's quite funny because um, we're very similar age. 
and you know my first my first job was a paper round Mm-hmm. Um, although in the UK, what we had to do is we had to actually physically put the newspaper through the letterbox, whereas I guess you guys threw it onto the, the lawn, right? Uh, as best we could, yeah. We threw it. It's sort of a band. Yeah, yeah. No, the worst part was we, we'd have to we'd have to uh, we'd have to um, sort of add the inserts and then fold them and band them, right? And so your your hands are basically just covered with ink by the time you're done. And then oh my god, you ride around on your bike and then you do your best to throw them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we're talking. So that's kind of mid '80s, really. We're talking about there, aren't we? Or yeah. early '80s, yeah. Yeah. and and that was about the time in the UK. I mean, this is totally going off piste here. I know, but this is quite nice to reminisce because this. I, I I was thinking about this. It was about the sort of time here in the UK where the printed media decided on a Sunday to like double everything there were extra magazines massive inserts you know huge sports section cultural sections Mm -hmm. and it basically meant we had to do our paper round in two shifts so we had this great big bag with um it literally was about 25 uh, addresses or whatever and weighed an absolute ton and i remember going on my racing bike my bike which i did my 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 paper round on and um, you just had some serious bike skills to be able to do this because we lived in a, a quite hilly area. Sure, um, sure. Oh, man, such memories. Yeah. I think I yeah, only no, got I paid about seven pounds, seven pounds a week, which is what? Yeah. What's that? Five dollars yeah. a week? Something, something like that. We similar in the States. So I, I don't know when it started, but Sundays were always the big ones. And then there was one day, like a Wednesday where they did like a advertising section. So there was sort of like a middle, yeah. but the rest of the week was actually pretty, pretty light. And I don't know that I actually, I mean, I guess I technically made money, but I put almost every quarter I made into, uh, into, into video games back when video games used to be a stand-up machine that you put a quarter in and stood by in front of, right? Yeah. All oh, so right. Space invaders. That's that what I did with almost every, every, every penny I made off of a paper route, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah. so yeah. high school and then mm-hmm. college, um, did you this did you take a did you go to university or so I, I have uh enough time at college probably for a master's degree, so like for a secondary degree, but I don't have enough credits for an undergraduate. So so I, I tried on a couple different occasions. I got really close the last time, and then I actually dropped out of college to roll burritos. So technically I don't have a college degree. Um I was trying to finish up my degree, took a part-time job at a very small little restaurant chain that had three stores, 11 employees at the time. And sort of the vision was, is that we wanted to be the next subway, you know, the chain, but with burritos and sort of sandwiches. And um, I caught the bug and they kept just asking me to solve little problems. And so I actually, I literally dropped out of university to do that. And I did that for about two and a half years. It was incredible. It was absolutely, I I would, I, I, I used to say that I would um, have, uh, paid or I would have borrowed money to, I would borrow money to do that job now. I mean, I just learned so much from that experience. It completely yeah. demystified business and the growth and all that stuff. So it was, mm. it was amazing. Yeah. So I think also, you know, no college. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think also what that means is that actually there isn't, because there is a, um, I think people seem to, particularly here in the UK as well they think you know getting a university degree is really important and that um you know it's it's the only way forward but actually um it shouldn't really the emphasis really shouldn't be on that should it it should be on work experience yeah I mean I think obviously there's areas where it's good to have all that base knowledge and 
And I, I think there's worse things that you could do with your life than go and getting a degree um, for sure. Like there's way worse things, but, but um, I mean, every, every time I see something along this, it, the timeline just gets shorter and shorter. And I think the most recent one I saw was, is that for all practical purposes, sort of the new information that you learn in university will be obsolete in three to five years after graduation. Mm. And essentially all the base knowledge is already available on Google. So, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm not, you know, there's the social and the network and sort of the getting out on your own impact. But I think from an education standpoint, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's that system is, incredibly antiquated towards a world that doesn't exist anymore. So I wouldn't say throughout the whole thing, it just probably needs to be overhauled pretty significantly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And who yeah. knew that so much experience could be learned from rolling burritos? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny that, um, so it literally started with, we didn't have recipes when I started. So like, and it, we didn't have recipes because um, I'm, I'm not totally OCD, but I'm, I'm a systems guy. And so um no two burrito rollers rolled the same burrito. Like you could order the same burrito, but if I made it, it was different than if Wendy made it. Okay. And, and it would be different depending on what day of the week, because we didn't even use the same utensils in the same, you know, so, so the owners asked me to standardize the experience. And so I actually set the recipes when I decided that we'd use a three and a half ounce scoop for protein like that, that meant that, that, that was the recipe. So, so it started with that. And then I standardized sort of the layout of the store and then operations and then, um, a long story short is I ended up opening uh, 50 plus restaurants and onboarding seven franchise groups. And I mean, it was just fantastic. It was absolutely wow. fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. What, a, what God an they, apprenticeship. Yeah, no. And thank God they never gave me equity. Uh, <laughs> if they had given me equity, I'd still be rolling burritos, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, still the, the ownership that I work for is, has, has sold. Uh, so it's, it's, it's owned by some other folks now that mm-hmm. I, that I don't have any experience with, but I'm still, uh, still in touch with the founder. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, great guy. Yeah. What was it? What was it like? The the best thing that you learned from that time. So what what I really learned was that it wasn't magical, mystery, crazy, visionary. Like you didn't have to be Merlin to be a business person. Mm-hmm. What I saw from these guys is they were willing to just do what was necessary. They were honorable. They were ethical for sure, right? But like like we made a mistake we'd fix the mistake. We try something else, right? Like that's, and I was like, Oh, well, heck I I, I can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and, and I, I honestly just, I hadn't really thought about it quite frankly, but like it, having not thought about it, I just thought, well, these people are brilliant. They have this brilliant idea and then they go execute it flawlessly. And what my experience was is no, they had a pseudo idea with a ton of courage and the willingness to try and adapt and change. And that that's, that's a lot, you know, that's, that still takes a lot of courage, but that's, you know, courage is easier to come up with than, than, you know, brilliance, right? I mean, brilliance, you either have it or you don't, you can muster courage. So, yeah. 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 So with that, um, let's fast forward a little bit, because obviously you, you'd served a, I say like an apprenticeship, but obviously yep. I, I mean that in a kind way. Um, but, um, and then um, in 2001, 2002, you became a business owner yourself. Yep. And I'm really interested to find out what was going on behind the scenes, you know, in 2000, 2001, or to to get to that point, what was happening in your life? What made you sort of come to these sorts of this big decision to to sort of do something for yourself? And I'm really intrigued to find out where that came from. Yeah. So, so before burrito rolling and after burrito rolling, 
I was involved in trucking. So pre-burrito rolling, I drove the truck. I moved furniture primarily and some other stuff. And then after burrito rolling, I sold those services. And so the company that I was working for was a great company. It was it had brand recognition. We had uh, existing customers when I joined. Um, we had a great reputation as, as as literally like one of the best, you know, probably top at least top ten, if not top five, providers in the United States for what we did. So I mean, that was a huge plus to be able to. I mean, I could if I could get somebody on the phone, I could probably get a meeting at least, get a conversation with them, just sort of based on our brand recognition. And so with all that coming behind me and the credibility of knowing what it was all about, we had a lot of success and I started um, um, sort of inventing services to take work off of our client's desk. And the clients were more than willing to let us do that work. And it kept leading to longer and longer conversations with the owner of the company. And he was a great guy, incredibly honorable, ethical guy. Um, but he was more concerned about hauling the order. And I was more concerned about making the customer's job or customer's life easy and better. Mm. And those aren't necessarily at odds, but they're not necessarily in complete alignment. And so really I got to the place where it was the hardest part of the sell was to sell the owner to allow me to do what the customer was willing to pay us to do. And so I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. So I, I sat down with him and said, look, I, I respect equity. I respect the fact that you've been a huge part of what we've been successful for. And I want your chair and I don't think I have to head the king to get it. And so we found a number that was more than I wanted and less than he wanted. And, and, uh, and, and so I bought the company, but that's really what's going on is I just, um, I didn't, we weren't arguing. That's too strong of a word. I just didn't, he was, he was my biggest obstacle to being successful. Yeah. And I was also incredibly grateful. Obviously it was a huge part of why we were successful. It was just, we were going in, we're going in different directions. So did you always want to have your own business then? So I, I didn't realize it. Um, so the guy that was the founder of the burrito company, I was talking to him about leading into going in to have that conversation with the guy I worked for. And he said, he said, Dan, you'll never work for somebody ever again. He's like, you're not made to work for people. He's like, you should, you, you should work for yourself. So other people saw it in me. I didn't necessarily see it in myself. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, why, yeah, I mean, didn't, why, why didn't you feel that you you had it in you then? So I, I, I think, um, and I think this is true with all of us. I mean, I think our our strengths, we completely take for granted because they're natural to us, mm. right? And I think, uh, at least for me, I won't say, I won't speak for the entire human race, but the things that I'm decent at, like better than average, but aren't necessarily strengths, I, I think are the things that I give myself too much credit for, right? <laughs> um and really what I'm great at is the things that I don't realize that I'm great at because they're just second nature. And that in, in trying to lead and train and, and supervise people has just uncovered those assumptions because you go to explain it and you've like perfectly explained it. And then they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> okay. And you just keep unpacking that, unpacking that. Right. And so um, I mean, I, I'd say that's why I don't think I realized it, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm, you know, you just, you don't realize your own strengths. It's super hard to see your own strengths. No, absolutely. So what was your, what was your reason for starting the business? What was the why? What, what, what sort of gave you the energy every morning? So um, I, I, uh, I had gotten to a place where I had won some sale award, a sales award. So I, you know, gotten the, the cruises and the trophies and that stuff. And I really felt grateful. And I was, the joke was, 
that our team is so strong not the joke, actually the, the truth was, is our team was so strong that I was the pretty face. And I, I mean, I was having a lot of success and a lot of abundance in my life. And again, I can't, I don't want to speak poorly of the owner because he was a T he is a really good guy, but because his sort of vision was so different than ours, I wanted to be able to create a company where other people like myself had opportunities to do what I had done. And, and so I, um, I really, I mean, I wanted to buy the company because I wanted, I wanted other people to be the superstar. Like it's, I mean, ultimately when I sold things, it wasn't that I was egoless, but I just wanted to really knock the socks off the customers. Mm-hmm. And so I bought, I bought the company because I wanted to knock the socks off the employees. That's amazing. That's yeah. a really nice, it's a very nice turnaround of what most people view a business with, isn't it? Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, we sort of lost sight of that <laughs> and, and what actually happened was something different than that, but like that, what, what, what was really behind it, that was what was behind it. And then I had to learn how to do that because yeah. thinking that and feeling that is actually easy, actually putting it into play and then having a business around it has proven to be, has proven to be like still a work in progress. I mean, we're still working on it. Like, yeah. I, I feel comfortable with everything we've decided to do. But like, certainly we've made some mistakes and, um, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have learned more elegantly and faster and all that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, intentions are great, but like at the end of the day, you're judged on what you do. Right. Mm. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, I know that you're a, a very um, avid lover of the word vision. Yes. And yeah. right at the beginning, when you took over the business, you know, you, you, you put a new vision in, didn't you, you, you. How did you get that across? What what happened? And then I'd like I'd like to really just delve a little bit deeper on the challenges that you had after that. For sure. So, in fairness, like we we put in a vision as best we could with the understanding and sort of depth of vision that we had. And this is one of those things like that I had to learn, right? Like I thought like being a good guy and wanting the best for everybody was like enough of a vision. Uh, it's a, it's an intent. It's not a vision. So our sort of vision was, is we just wanted to be sort of like a world-class shipping company that was great to our clients and great to our employees. And that it probably wasn't even that articulated as, as, as poorly as that was. And despite that, we had success from 2002 to 2007. And then I got to the place where literally I woke up and I hated my job and I loved rolling burritos at six bucks an hour, loved it. And I had loved most of everything. And what I found out through the process of hiring a coach was the reason why I hated my job is I didn't have a vision. Right. Okay. And, and, and so from there, we really put together a vision and, and, and there was a lot of learning in between 2002 and 2007 to not having a vision. But once we put the vision in place, it was a lot, we we're in a lot, much, much better spot, much better spot. How long did it take to get the new, vi- your, your vision then in 2007, eight then? Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't really remember, but I, I, it certainly was not, it couldn't have been much more than like 45 days. I mean, it's pretty quick, you know I mean? Yeah, we yeah. were, we were going concerned with an idea of what we wanted to do. So it was more sort of getting rid of the things that didn't fit into what mm-hmm. we wanted to do. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, it was probably a couple sessions with the coach, I would think. Yeah. yeah. So what happened after that in terms of business? Cause obviously we're talking global recession, aren't we? Time. Yeah, so we were we were ahead of our time on that. So we 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 came up with a vision, and the vision 
was uh, the result of the vision was is 70%, 70 cents on the dollar of an eight digit sort of uh, group of businesses that we had um, didn't fit into the new vision. So we fired, politely fired 70% of our customers right before the recession hit. And so then the recession came, we lost another 70%. And if you're a math person, then you know that that's 91% total in like 18 months. So like, yeah, we, like all our goals, we exceeded our goals. We're like, hey, we're going to lose a lot of money. So like, let's lose even more than we planned. And we, we accomplished that. Yeah. So it was brutal. But from that position of having a clean vision, we, we did a couple of things internally and, and, and just said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk to everybody we know and focus on what we think is the right thing. And sort of from that position, it, 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 uh, it came back. And uh, there was at one point where we doubled the company three years in a row. And, and going into COVID, we were on the Inc. 5000 seven, seven years in a row. Yeah. Wow, brilliant. And, and I, I would attribute almost all that to, to having a clearer vision for sure. Yeah. No, and that's really great advice, actually. Really great advice. But interestingly, um, I wonder what your thoughts are on this, because obviously, you know, with that global recession, you've just lost 91% of your business. Mm -hmm. Your back is against the wall, isn't it? And I'm just thinking, actually, do you know what? I'm thinking back with that sort of uh, your early years of when you were, you know, a, a young boy and you were hustling, you know, and it sort of, did you feel like you were... it? a bit more in, in tune with, um, your, your business DNA. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the reality is, is that, that, uh, I'm very familiar with that sort of circumstance. And my response is to respond, like it's not to wait or to turtle. And so, um, we got down to six people, six employees and, uh, almost verbatim. I said, look, this is what we're going to do. Um, stop watching the news. And that's a little about optimism. It's like, stop watching the news. Like, like somebody's going to make a fortune in the next couple of years. Why not us? And I'll let you know if it gets bad, but it's not bad. We're actually prepared. Like we're okay. And we're going to just go talk to everybody we know. We're going to go talk to everybody we know. We're going to focus on creating value for them and whether or not we get paid. We're, not, we're just not going to worry about it. And, uh, and, and that literally is what we did. And uh, yeah, and it wasn't surprising. I mean, it's, it's not surprising looking back on it now, but that was more than enough to be successful. Um, yeah. Well, you know, to your credit, I think actually you, you've got to be an exceptional leader to be able to put that across to staff when they can see, you know, the results coming in or, you know, the, the results of, of, the, of, the, of the crash or whatever. So, you know, um, chapeau to you. Um, well, it, it, it helped that, you know, so some of it was self-imposed. So about a third of the people opted out and we gave them the new vision and told them what we wanted to do. They were just like, you're crazy. Right? Mm. Like, I mean, they didn't say that, but they were smart. They're like, oh my God, this is insane. And then about another third or so sort of worked them way, you know, either one or both of us decided it wasn't a good idea. Like they weren't really on board. And so by the time we got to that place, to that conversation in town hall, like the only people that were left were the people that really believed in what we were doing. Yeah. And um, what's cool is that from that point of going forward, there was t- two women who who on multiple occasions would, quote unquote, start making up services for our customers. Not quite to the extent that I was doing back when I was a salesperson, but they were adding things because they knew the people they served well enough that that would deliver peace of mind. Yeah. And yeah. when that started to happen, I was like, OK, 
Now we're doing the right thing because they're coming up with ideas that quite frankly, I would have never thought to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when that started to happen, I was like, okay, we're this, this is super cool. Like this is super cool. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Yeah. So, cause you're right. You're a systems guy. So did you put systems in place so that when, as you grew new people that came in, um, first of all, you chose the right people to fit the company. Um, you, you weren't putting, you know, square pegs in round holes and B, uh, did you design a, a sort of a, a system, a process to get these guys on board and, and tuned into your vision and synergize and all that? So, so there's a pattern to all of this, right? Like we have this brilliant insight and then we have this learning period <laughs> of actually sort of being able to execute on the brilliant insight. So the short answer is yes, but that was over the course of years to actually get even remotely close to that. Like, I mean, it just we made all the mistakes that you can possibly make is that we, then we sort of took it for granted because now there was six of us that totally got it. And so, you know, we certainly had had some people that were good, but we added some people that weren't. And then one of the things that was difficult about all the success and growth that we had is, um, you know, we, we would plan, we would forecast for cash needs and people needs and all that. And when you exceed your goals, so you start off the year with, and I'm just making up numbers here, but all right, we're going to hire four people and that'll keep us. So we're okay. And then you land business that really requires like seven people and you miss on two of the hires. So you're short five people, like you're way behind on people. So, so we, we were, I'm not proud of it, but we were a little bit of a meat grinder there for a bit because we were just, we were growing too fast. And that's, I I take full responsibility. Um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it at the level I am now, but looking back in the rearview mirror, that's some of the stuff that we had to learn. And so, um, you know, if I could have learned, if we could have, if we could have grown a little slower or just been a little bit more, um, uh, uh, you know, it took us a while to figure out that we should, we, we were trying to hire with a fudge factor. We weren't expecting to land every single person, Mm -hmm. but we didn't, we didn't realize, you know, um, how potentially success could sort of bite us, you know, that way with the, with the people. Right. And so we finally did get in front of that, but that was probably like 2016, 17 before we got in front of like, we have enough people. Yeah. And and, and then, then there was all sorts of other things to figure out that we had, that we hadn't perfected, but like, I think we sort of figured out headcount by 2016, 17. Yeah. 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 It's one of those, it's one of those things that, um, uh, there's there's never a finish line with that sort of thing, is there? You know, it's um it's it's always a a, a running uh, uh, role in terms of as your company of of evolvement, really. I believe. Yeah, no, I I know several hundred, probably maybe even close to a thousand business owners at this point. Obviously, at various various levels, and there really are a few brilliant ones. But I think the overwhelming majority of them, it's like we've just survived our mistakes. Like, that's it. Like, I mean, the ones that aren't in business anymore didn't, they weren't fortunate enough to be able to survive their mistakes, like, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. And, and uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know any, I mean, I've known plenty of people that from a distance, it looked like they were crushing it. Yeah. And then as you get up on them, you're like, oh yeah, no, they're totally human. I mean, they're fantastic at parts of it, but like, yeah. Or if they are crushing it, their story is, is that you know, they weren't doing well, or they brought somebody in that knew how to do something. I mean, there isn't, there isn't anyone that's totally cracked the code. No, absolutely. So what's your key takeaway from that time in that period in terms of the business? What, what, what are you thinking actually, you know what, that was, that was incredible. I'm really glad I did that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we did it. I mean, I would have liked to learn more elegantly, but like I, I, one of my restraints that I have is just mistakes at full speed and mistakes at full speed doesn't mean as we go as fast as we can, but going slower would have just made it longer to learn it. Right. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we made the, that, that I made the honorable ethical decisions that I did. They weren't perfect. They didn't come without consequence, but like, I don't have to second guess that. No. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's COVID has obviously had a bit of an impact on um, <laughs> your your business. Yeah. Um, how 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 has that been over the last eighteen months? Yeah. So, uh, ironically or coincidentally, I guess, um, sort of the recession sort of really helped us because we had a playbook on how to like lose ninety one percent of your business, and and that's we lost slightly more of that in COVID, uh, and we were a much bigger company than we were before. So uh, it was horrific. It was, I mean, it was horrific. Uh, I, I just have to put this out to the universe that as an individual, I have been ridiculously provided and spared. Uh, point to point, the entity took a direct bullseye smash. And if I'd like to think, given the choice, this is how I would have picked the consequences of COVID. But um, yeah, so we we had a major reduction in force. Um, you know, we, we started to see cancellations in February of 2020 and really in terms of our real core business of what we do, we have yet to get a shipment back in terms of what we really do. Like we've yet to support a corporate event. We've done some other things uh, uh, for our customers, but our, our business is not back yet. No, absolutely. Hospitality particularly has taken a massive hit and, and, you know, events and things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what have you done? To stay, a stay happy and b you know get yourself through this and and um and and keep everybody else happy. Yeah, so so I I didn't realize it so much at the time, but uh, we we did the same thing. Um, I told people right away, stop watching the news. Right, I mean, do what you got to do. Be healthy, be safe, be whatever. But stop watching the news, man. Like if they cure COVID, they're gonna well, you'll hear about it. You don't have to worry about like oh my god, I missed that they cured it. Right, like you'll find out. Like you know, so stop watching the news. And then for we we kept more people initially than we needed um, because they were great people and they had done great work for us and we knew they were skilled. And and what I said was like we're gonna go try to find a new way to contribute value to the marketplace. And uh, for reasons that are too detailed and probably not too much detail for this conversation, that, that, that just didn't work. And I would still highly recommend those people. We're going to try to get back as many of them that we can and that want to come back because they're still great people, but with those dynamics and COVID and all that, that didn't work. So as an individual I started talking to other business owners to just try to be helpful, right? you know, and, and the conversation literally was, Hey, my, my challenges are like throw up in the garbage can awful, but they're simple. Like you like make the decision, you take the action, you throw up in the garbage can and then you wait. Um, your, your challenges, however, are ridiculously complex and change on a second to second basis. Can I be helpful? And so I started just trying to help other people that I knew and um, a couple couple independent conversations um, over the course of 2020, both started getting around sales and marketing. And they started talking to me about, you know, they said, Hey, the way that you talk about sales and marketing is different um, than how most people talk about it and how you, how you structure your company is is really different. Um, And so uh, in February of 2021, we launched this company called sales sidekick. Yeah. So that's sort of did the same thing, right? Just go find a new way to, 
contribute value, talk to everybody you know, and and focus on just trying to help other people out. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about Sales Psychic because there's something in, involved in that which I think is is really interesting and something that I'm very very interested in. And that's mm. the kind of the, the social contract kind of thing side of things that, well, I call it a social contract, but I don't know. It means if you could explain um, to the listeners how you explained it to me on our pre-call a few weeks ago, it'd be really great because it, it was really inspiring, actually, really inspiring. Yeah. So I, I, if I can, um, Steve, I'd love to take just a half a step back just to say one thing, because I just saw a parallel. And I think if folks want to do this, this will be key. Um, so you asked me about strengths and all that. And it's like, Hey, we don't recognize our own strengths. What I thought was great about point to point. And it wasn't that it wasn't great or maybe it was good. Great. Strong word. What I thought was good about point to point was in fact good. As I talked to other business owners and explained it to them, they told me what was great. And then they asked me about what was really special. Right. So I think, um, it's another one of those examples of we don't frequently realize sort of what our own secret sauce is. So um, anyways, that, that being said, so the social aspect of it is what, what we're trying to do on a really high level is we want to redeem work. Like that's what we want to do. And we're, we're doing it through the sales effort. Um, So if from my perspective, I think sort of what I would call a universal law or constraint of the universe is, is that it's a pull, it's a pull system. And, and what that means is, is that, 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 that everything, everything works better when, when, when it's, when it's a pull action, not a push and sales traditionally is push and how, how sales becomes a pull action is we all know this. I haven't made anything up. I'm just, explaining what we already know is true, which is the first focus has to be in contributing value, right? And that's part of our story that we keep telling over and over again, but everyone that's been successful, that's what they've done. Like they first focus on contributing value, contribute value, contribute. They might use different words, but that's what they do. Then if they're really great at it, the marketplace or the community that they serve or whatever comes and says, holy smokes, you're so good. We have to pay you to do this. And I think that's probably how most companies start, you know, and then not all companies, but certainly in the U.S., many companies then sort of lose sight on that basic sort of proportions, right? They've perfected the take, like there's no question that we know how to get profitable, but proportionally, we're not contributing the value in to the marketplace that we serve. And I don't want to call it, so there's some of our best customers at point to point are some of the most successful brands on the planet. But if, you're, if your market cap is in the trillions, what level of contribution do you need to make to society before you start pulling, right? So it's not to say they don't contribute, but are they contributing at the same level that someone would cross the room to do business with you, right? And so we designed a system, not that you can tell by my story, we had an idea <laughs> that we survived several rounds of mistakes on that by the time we got going into COVID, we had a system that people would cross the room to ask to be our customer. So we could add a customer a week for six and a half years without salespeople. And we've yeah. codified that we're working with people to divide, design their, not their business, but design their system to do the same thing. So you grew a business without salespeople. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, no, no salespeople. Yeah. Wow. So, so technically, I was the salesperson, and people, people that know me and know us and know the dynamics, on some levels, I was the crazy visionary that had the idea. Yeah. But I still don't know how to articulate most of this stuff. Right? It's despite my inability to articulate it that we grew. Like the, 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 the idea and the system was strong enough that we grew, right? And so, but we didn't we didn't pitch people, we didn't do presentations, we didn't do any of that stuff. We we literally just focused on creating value for the customers that we served. And the response of that was is that people asked to be our customer. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what happened. And so with Sales Sidekick, have you got some examples of the sort of things that you're recommending companies and their employees do? Yeah. So so we're working with a handful of companies now. And the first part is, is it, it just goes back to good old fashioned work, right? Like, I mean, so again, I haven't invented anything. So the first thing is, is we really have to study the marketplace that we're going to serve. And then we can identify at least the initial sort of target company and figure them out. And then the people inside of that, and I call that a worldview. And there's a way that we document it and the questions that we ask to really sort of shape what that is. And then, then we look at that against what we, you know, what I would call a constraint or universal laws and, and say, okay, so where, where are the opportunities based on all this? If we were going to start over today, where are the opportunities? that we could create value just to serve this ecosystem. And, and usually it's just by helping them be informed on and helping those folks make conscious decisions. Right. And then from that, we get our own unique worldview as a, as a company that's going to serve that marketplace. Hmm. And I've, I've explained this to other people and, and everyone's like, Hey, Dan, that's not any different than what, anyone else is talking about. And I'm like, well, maybe it isn't, but everyone else is talking about lead gen and all this other crap. I'm talking about actually, how are you going to contribute value? Not how are you going to get paid, but how can you set up a system? So every interaction with your customer creates value for them, regardless if you're going to get paid or not. Yeah. Right. That's a, it's a different, it's a little different animal. I think what most people do is they get to a place where they're like, if I do this, I can get X and I can produce that result for less than X, and then they stop. And this is like, no, how can you continue to serve these people? How, as you continue to talk to them, can you get smarter and create additional value in the future, right? And, and that's, that's essentially what we're, we're helping people walk through. Yes, and, yeah. there, and was a, there was a community element as well, wasn't there, from, from our conversation? Yeah, so what, what, what we have found to be most effective and it's cool because we, we get to do it. We get to do it as sales sidekick with our clients. And then we get to see our clients do it with their clients, right? So instead of like, hey, I'm going to go sell Steve some stuff. I'm going to go first focus on understanding what Steve's trying to accomplish. And then I'll learn something in that. And then I'm going to help Steve learn how he can get more of whatever it is that he's looking for. Whether I sell it or not is sort of totally irrelevant, right? Mm. And, and if we're doing that in a and sort of a set marketplace, there's going to be learning together. Mm-hmm. And when you learn with somebody, it's a whole different level of relationship, right? Um, it's a whole different level of relationship. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting philosophy, and I really love it. And and I just wondered, you know, moving forward, what what is what what's the vision for Sales Sidekick? You know, where where is it going to go? How is it going to grow? 
So, I, I mean, I think we'll let the, the, the clients tell us what that really means. But I mean, I, I think um, we've learned, uh, we've learned a, a fair bit already just with the, the handful of people we started working with. Um, and it really starts, I, I think, in order for us to be effective, it's going to start working with the leadership team mm. that really just says, hey, do you want to be a sidekick? And I, I, I apologize for the cute language. Like if it was up to me, it'd be way cooler language, but like, it's a sidekick. You're not the superhero. You're the sidekick. The customer is the superhero and the people working for you are the superheroes. You're the sidekick. Do you really want to do that? Because you can have a ridiculously successful business as a superhero. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to help you. And none of my systems will make any sense. But if, <laughs> if, if you find that you hate your job, like I did, <laughs> the way to not hit your job is to be a sidekick, right? And that's really where I think it starts. We made the mistake of one of the people that was generous enough to ask us to work with them and demand that we pay them for it, is we tried doing sales training and talking to the people that were tasked with sales about this before leadership had fully taken us on and sort of the transformation that needs to happen at that level. It wasn't a waste of time. It just, it wasn't effective, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it really where 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 we're going to go with this is see if leaders want to sort of adapt what we're calling the sidekick mentality. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's a great it's a it's a great it's a great idea. A great it's a I think it all sort of lines into you know I I I say this a lot on the on the podcast and everything happens for a reason, and it seems to me or it strikes me uh, Dan that really you've kind of found your your lane, your kind of purpose with this. Would that be fair? Yeah, no, I mean, look, the reality is, is that all the hustle skills I had were, they're still there, but I got them. I believe I got them to serve other people, not to serve myself. And look, try serving yourself and have some success. It'll suck. It won't be awful. Like there's way worse forms of sucking than that, Mm -hmm. but it is so much cooler to help somebody else get to what they want to be. And everyone knows this. I'm not saying anything that no, I mean, anyone that's ever experienced it, the greatest accomplishments of my life, the ones that I'll brag about the longest are when I was part of something bigger than myself. And I've, I've been fortunate. There's a couple of things I can claim. Check, check, check. Right. But the cool stuff, the really, really cool stuff is the stuff that I was a part of the stuff that gets better over time that 10 years later, I'm like, Oh my God, the whole burrito rolling thing. I was just one part of that. That was fantastic. It gets better over time. The, the, the goal that I set in 2002 for sales or whatever, like who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, as more time goes on, it's like, eh, whatever. Right. So, so being a part of something bigger than yourself is it just, not only does it pay better financially, it pays better emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff. Right. So and, and if 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 being a superhero worked for you, I'm all about it. It just it, it did not it didn't it didn't work for me. Like it mm-hmm. it just didn't. And, and I, I try it. I still try it. I'm like I'm not perfect at it. Like there's people that'll be like, yeah, dude, you should try a sidekick. Right. So like I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, a mastery path. It's not a it's not a destination. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good. That's a great analogy, actually. Yeah, it, it is a it's a journey rather than the you you yeah. there's no there's no end point. Um. So what are the goals for the future? So uh, we're so over the years, based on my personality and everything else, some people say, "Hey, man, you need to go really put yourself out there." And 
and uh, I had a lot of risk tolerance around money I hadn't made yet, um, but there wasn't a lot of emotional uh, uh, risk. And so the the goals for the future are is that that uh, I'm going to try to do my part to put this sort of message out there and see where it goes. Like I uh, will let sort of the marketplace um, figure it out. I'm hopeful that um, other people who are more articulate than I am can uh, pick it up and have some success with it. I mean, I, I just. Um, I, I think we all know this. I, I just saw it over and over and over again where, where good people mm. would be in business and they make decisions as business people that lead to just to quote unquote bad, not awful bad decisions, but look, it's, it's part of, it's, it's, it's part of my story in between 2002 and 2007, I got lost as a CEO and I, I wasn't awful but but if I had just if I had just run through the filter, <laughs> is this is this good for the company, right? Is this good for the community that we serve? Like that would have been way easier than trying to be this hip slick smart CEO guy that's supposed to know how to run a business. It's like if if you yeah. So so anyways, I, I think it it's uh I, I'm willing to sort of do my part to put it out there that says yes, we need to respect you know, sort of the principles of business and all that, but there's some fundamental principles that, that need to probably get uh, brought into the equation and maybe considered first. And then, then we consider the business principles after that. Yeah. Yeah. So where do your family fit in with all of this? Um, so uh, they're, they're, uh, they're generous. And um, the thing that I love most about my wife is she's never been impressed with me at all. Um, she likes that I have a job and she likes that I have some passion around it, but like, she just doesn't even care. And this is, I don't know that I've ever told this story, like, uh, but, uh, but I'm happy to tell it now. So when we first met and when I was a business owner and all this other nonsense, and she was totally unimpressed and we had to swing by the warehouse and I had to unload something on, on a truck because of, because of the circumstances and it was Christmas and all that. And, and when she saw me drive the forklift and unload the truck, she was actually more impressed with that than anything else. And I was just like, who ever thought, right? So how my family fits into this is they're the single most important thing that, and they don't care about any of this, which is really awesome, right? They're just like, hey, you better show up and be, you better be the, the dad and the husband that you're supposed to be. So yeah, they, they're, they're, it's perfect that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Did the boys kind of get it? Did the, the boys sort of know what you do and how they, you know, how well you're doing uh so they they show up uh they 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 come to work um especially with covid and all that um (laughs) when when my oldest was four they asked him these questions and then they wrote it down and and they gave it to him and he said that i used to work on a computer i'm not sure how he would answer that question now um but i think he definitely gets it and i'm most proud of is they can both actually drive a pallet jack uh, pretty well, or a pump jack, depending on depending on what part of the world you're in. But but uh, yeah, no, they they're 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 working their way around the warehouse a little bit. So that's oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. So, yeah. you, I mean, it's 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 not um, it's undeniable that you seem happy. Okay, I can I can feel it. You know, in terms of the your um, the pitch and your voice and your animation on the screen and 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 because obviously through Zoom. And I just wondered, you know, is that how how 
how fulfilled do you feel? What what is what does happiness mean to you? Is that is it something that's achievable for for everybody? What I'd love some sort of insight on that for you from your point of view. Yeah, so I I um I I I'm not so I think work is the most honorable word and act in the universe. And I think love is awesome. It's just not much of an accomplishment. Like I think of it more of a gift. Um, and so uh, when I'm doing work, like there's purpose in it. And that's a, a net sort of a byproduct of that is happiness somewhere. There's usually some frustration in between <laughs> in between the work and the, and the happiness. Um, and again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a mastery path. It's not a destination, but when COVID hit and I mean, I, 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 I had tremendous certainty what was going to happen to point to point the entity by the third week of January. And there's, there's some people in my circle that will validate that of 2020. I didn't see shelter in place. I didn't buy stock in zoom. I mean, like I, I missed a thousand things, but I saw exactly what was going to happen to the corporate event business. And, and the first thought that was given to me by the universe was you're going to want to be able to brag about how you conducted yourself 25 years from now. And like, we've made some mistakes and I don't know that I can brag about it, but I'm super proud of what we've done. And my oldest will remember COVID. They will have absolutely, unless someone tells him what happened, they have no idea that we lost 96% or whatever the hell of our business and all this other stuff. And, and, um, I think the reason why is, is that hopefully 50.1% of the time I've been thinking about how I can fit myself to something bigger than me, hmm. than what's in it for me. Like, and, and the reason why I'm such a fan of this whole sidekick approach is it leads to happiness. And if I do anything short of that, sooner or later, it leads to something less than that. Right. And usually pretty quick, but, but sometimes not immediate, but, but yeah. So that's, that, that's, that's really the burrito rolling job. I was just like, how can I be useful to these guys? And that just works so well. I just never really got off the bandwagon. (laughs) It's like, I've, I've, I've had, I've, I've struggled with in new roles. How does this equate, you know, how does being useful and try to be a sidekick in this new role? That's been a learning every single step of the way, but the basic approach is like, Hey, this is the right way for me to 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 be excited about waking up every day oh that's amazing that is amazing um i think that really from where you've from what you've spoken about and and thank you so much for that i would say that optimism you're an optimist i would say would that be right i mean i'm not not talking about you know rainbows and and unicorns and stuff like that i'm just talking about somebody that wakes up in the morning and thinks you know what this is going to be a great day yeah, so I, I, I think um, sort of grounded in reality, the proper response is terror and fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big, scary place, COVID or not, right? And the most effective strategy is to try to fit myself to be part of it. And when I do that, it ends up working ridiculously well. And so I have optimism sort of in the system, <laughs> more than I do in my ability to do it or anything like that. Like it, it's, it's, I, I've, I've had my own bottoms. I've seen plenty of other ones and, and I've more importantly, I've experienced great, you know, quote unquote mountaintops and not been happy before too. Right. Like, I mean, the, the best response 
to life is to fit yourself to it. And the outcome of that is that's optimistic, right? I mean, um, but, but, but it has to be grounded in some reality, right? You know I mean? I, I think not, not facing reality. I mean, look, if I was, I'm five foot seven and bald, if I was six foot five, better looking and smarter, I could, I could probably get away with more stuff. Right. But, but it's better that I just sort of like accept reality as best I can. And then from there, there's, I don't think there's any reason not to be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. That is awesome. That is so awesome. So Dan, I, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. You know, um, is there, is there one thing that you, you like to sort of say, um, uh, to the listeners really in in terms of um you know one one little nugget of advice that you think would would help sure so the thing that i try to remind myself most frequently is there are no special snowflakes like there are no special snowflakes and so somebody else has already figured this thing out like they've already figured out or at least they've figured out 95% of it right and and my insistence on my specialness, whether it's me as an individual, my business, my family, whatever, is the part that is blocking me from the answer that I will say the system, the universe, whatever will provide if I just see how it's more like everything else than separate. Awesome. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm not going to say I wish you every success because actually I know it's going to be your your the 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 road ahead the the years ahead are going to be extremely successful for you. So um, I'm going to say uh, not continued, but um, uh, I'm, I'm wishing you more success and um, and more happiness. And uh, I, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been amazing. Um, I've loved uh, you know having a conversation with you. I love you know connecting with you and and thank you very much for you know being a, a great guest on the Traveling Optimist. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the you know this the the stage and the platform to sort of share the message. And I hope I hope it lands with folks. If if uh, folks want to talk about it more, they want to argue about it. I, I'd be happy to learn more in the conversation than them, but I'd love to continue the conversation with anybody that's interested. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Where can people um, sort of connect with you, uh, Dan? Where's the, what's the best place? Uh, just, just on LinkedIn, uh, Dan T Rogers on, on, on LinkedIn, that, that there's, that's sort of the, the center of the uh, center of the universe for us. Okay. That's cool. I will put the uh, details in the show notes as well so that people can set a, a link straight away. Um, thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate it. Uh, I, hope, I hope you have a, uh, obviously I know it's early, early doors, isn't it? In, in Seattle at the moment. It's not too bad. It's mid morning for us. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We, we, we get up early for you. No problem. So, oh, that's so great. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not gone unnoticed. Um, and, uh, I will uh, sign off now, but thanks Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for links and resources discussed today, visit the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful way to do this is to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast host, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, etc. Sharing the show with your family, friends and colleagues is always greatly appreciated. And you can now find some great content for The Travelling Optimist on YouTube, Instagram. Yep, I'm on the gram. And now TikTok too. Uh, I, I love your support and I really do appreciate it and I don't take it for granted. Stay well, everybody. 